Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this new episode of The Daily Optimist. Today is Thursday. It is the 23rd of September. I hope wherever you're at right now, you're enjoying your day. I hope that you have found some ways to progress forwardly and optimistically, hopefully. Remembering that, you know, not everything can be all sunshine and roses, but that doesn't mean you can't find a positive out of it. All right. It's about learning from experiences. And I hope you're all learning from experiences. I know I myself am all the time. And if I'm not, well, then I'm not paying enough attention. So that means I need to pay more attention. So yesterday, um, you know, we talked about research. I hope you had a chance to really think about what that means, even if not implement it yet. Perhaps you'll be able to implement it sooner than later. I sure hope so. But what comes after research? Well, I'll talk about that later on. All right. So, of course, today I'm going to bring you one story. And it's been dominating some headlines. And uh, you'll you'll hear the... I don't want to say counter, but I want to bring a, about a more in-depth take. All right. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But... As always, we'll finish with your positive. Uh, It is a Thursday. The weekend is right around the corner. I hope you're ready for it. I know I am. All right, everybody. Let's get to it. My name, of course, is Elijah Manning, and you are listening to The Daily Optimist. Okay, everyone. So for my news story today, I'm going to talk about the case that has been dominating the headlines, and that is uh, the case for uh, Gabby Petito. And as terrible as it is that, you know, she went missing and they discovered her remains and now they can't find her, her boyfriend who she was on that trip with. There is an aspect of this that is... Um, overlooked and uh, sometimes pushed aside and I don't want you to think of this as me diminishing anything that happened with uh, Gabby Petito because that is a tragedy what I'm trying to do is raise awareness that that is not a singular tragedy all right that uh, this terrible um, type of incident happens all too often But in certain communities, it is overlooked. And I just want to raise your awareness to that. All right. So several years back, 2004, I believe the video is, from uh, a CNN correspondent who was at a, I believe it was a, um, had to do with like um, journalists of color coming together for a conference. I believe it's what it was. And I forget the lady's name who had mentioned uh, missing white woman syndrome. So, what I'm saying to you is the disappearance and death of Gabby Petito is a colossal tragedy. It is not a singular tragedy. There is a man uh, named um, Daniel Robinson... 24 year old he went missing 
in uh, Arizona on June 23rd. He still hasn't been found. That is not the only incident. There is a history here of American coverage in the media and American um, decision-making within policing on how much manpower, how much effort they're going to put in looking for uh, these missing persons. So if you've been following along, it has not taken them that long to be able to find Gabby Petito. That's wonderful. They put a lot of resources in. They were able to discover her. The terrible downside is, unfortunately, she was um, she was killed. And now, like I said, the search for her, our boyfriend, is underway. But there are people who have not been found. Okay? So there was a, um, a research paper that was... Um, done by Northwestern University School of Law in 2016 about the missing white syndrome, uh, white woman syndrome, and the coverage through the media and things of that nature. And it's by uh, Zach Summers, who is a criminologist and author of the study. And um, I'm reading from a CNN article right now, and that is by Nikel, excuse me, Nikel Terry Ellis. And his study... Uh, the study by uh, Zach Summers points out that missing black people are less likely to garner media attention at the outset than other groups. And when they do make the news and they, re uh, they receive a lower intensity of coverage. So, for instance, um, he said, as a culture, we are readily willing to accept stories about white folks as victims as something we should care about. When we see a white person who has gone missing, we say that could be my daughter, neighbor, or cousin, or friend, and they identify with that person and are more likely to read the story than we would if it were a person of color. So his whole report is really fascinating. It's very in-depth. It talks about the actual coverage uh, that is received from some major news sources, the percentage of... of uh, black people they that work for them the percentage of white people and, and uh, you know hispanic and other that work there and um it goes into the the news stories that that are are found um and it's pretty pretty in depth about who does it it's a pretty long research paper it's about 41 pages so i haven't been able to read all of it yet but i'm definitely interested in going back in and uh, looking at that i've actually saved the, the tab so I don't want to lose that. But there is a um, FBI National Crime Information Center, and that's on this article on CNN, <clears throat> excuse me, that has a list of active missing persons, and it showed almost 90,000 active missing pers person cases at the end of 2020. And of those cases, black and Native American people made up a larger share of missing persons than their total share of the U.S. population. So, again, I'm going to say that to you again. So, white white uh, people missing were about 54%, right? Which is a huge number. The population of uh, U.S. white people is 76%. So, the population, uh, those that are missing, is less than 
their share of the population in the U.S. For Native American, there are 2% who are missing, and they are only 1% of the population. 2% are missing, and they are only 1% of the population. In the black community, 31% are active missing persons cases. And black people make up about 13% of the population. Again, 31% of their active missing persons cases. And they make up only 13%. That is pretty, pretty, pretty rough. Okay? There's stories of um, a, a mother who, who lost her, her daughter um, five years ago, September 26, 2016, Kishay Jacobs, that's when she went missing. She was a year, I think they said a year younger than what Gabby Petito is right now when she vanished. Um, and she says uh, her mother said um, when when her daughter vanished, they did not receive the same intense search effort uh, and publicity as Petito. She said, you know, obviously she doesn't want anybody to do that, but um, to have to deal with that, she just wants to raise awareness. So she says, uh, police initially suggested that Keisha was ignoring her mother's calls. Keisha was ignoring her mother's calls and likely wasn't missing. 14 months after uh, she went missing, police said they suspected foul play was a factor in her disappearance. 14 months later, over a year later, is when they said, oh, there may have been some foul play. They went to Gabby Petito immediately. So that's just uh, an example. And if you look, I'm looking on an insider.com article right now by Kelsey Vlemis. And hers is about 710 indigenous people, mostly girls, were reported missing over the past decade in Wyoming. And that's the same state where Gabby Petito reportedly disappeared. So I'm just getting into some of these percentage. Um, at least 710 indigenous people, mostly girls, went missing in Wyoming from 2011 to 2020. That is according to a uh, past January report published by the state's Missing and Murdered Indigenous People Task Force. The vast majority, 85%, were kids, while 57% were female. The report found 50% of missing indigenous people are found within one week, while 21% remain missing for 30 days or longer. Only 11% of white people remain missing for that long, according to the report. And uh, there is a link for the report, and I uh, didn't have um, as much opportunity to read that report. as a 51-page report, but I am going to uh, look into that as well. So I have two reports that I need to look into. But... Um, just reading those percentages, 
is pretty, pretty mind-blowing. So again, this is not the comparison game in terms of, you know, uh, one being any more important. This is that same, you know, that same idea that, you know, when people say um, equality, meaning if, if, you, if everybody's equal, you get less. This is not how it works. Like, you don't lose your equality. And it's the same thing with this. Like, we're not, it's not a comparison that's showing that we need to put as much effort into these other cases as well. That's what it's showing. That it can't be just this missing white woman syndrome. We need to find people who are missing. We need to engage every possible way. And not only when it's just a white woman missing. Not not just as in, I don't want that to sound like a negative term. Okay? We want it to be equal for everybody. We want everybody to be found. Put that same effort and energy forth. All right. I just want you to think about that. All right, I'll be back in just a moment. And we'll switch to some positive news. It's time for some positive news. All right, so this positive news comes from Purdue.edu. And um, it is by Purdue University itself. It's a uh, report on a study that they've been doing or they've accomplished, I should say. So, um, Julien Ruen is a Purdue University professor of medical engineering and he and his students have created the whitest paint on record. And I certainly hope I didn't butcher his name too bad. My apologies if I did. But so, what it is, is it actually earned themselves a Guinness World Record title. <laughs> so that's interesting. But more importantly, the whitest paint on the world, it may dramatically reduce or even eliminate the need for air conditioning, which would be huge for the environment climate change right all right so let's get more into it they invented the paint uh with the idea to create paint that would reflect sunlight away from a building um so they made that but it also made the paint itself really white the formulation that ruins lab created reflects 98.1 percent of solar radiation at the same time as emitting infrared heat. All right, because the paint absorbs less heat from the sun than it emits, a surface coated with this paint is cooled below the surrounding temperature without consuming power. Um, so they say typical commercial white paint gets warmer instead of cool uh, cooler, and that it you know uh, reflects only eighty to ninety percent, and this one's up to ninety-eight point one percent. So they said covering an area on a roof of about a thousand square feet uh, could end up cooling in the building uh, power of 10 kilowatts. And they say that's more uh, powerful than the air conditioner used by most houses. That's what Ruin himself says. So that's pretty impress impressive. Um, I guess this uh, idea goes back to the 70s to develop this type of paint, but now it's it's been made 
possible. And this article goes into how they made the paint and, and what is in it and, um, you know, which chemicals, which is interesting. But um, the most interesting part to me was how it can help cool housing. So let's get this paint on the market. Let's get these houses painted with it. And let's see if we can do away with the need for air conditioning. That is a big climate change need. Less power, less of that uh, uh, electricity going in all of the, what is it, the Freon that is used in, in those? Oh, goodness. Science is not always my number one. I'm not going to lie to you. But hopefully they'll do better than me. All right, my second positive story comes from the Washington Post and it is by Terrence McCoy. And it is about um, the story itself is the positive. Hopefully, the story will lead to more positives in the future. So what it is about is the Tatoyo indigenous community in Brazil. There is a young woman who has become a TikTok star. So why is that important? Her name is Kanaparanga Tatoyo. And I hope I'm not mispronouncing her name too terribly. Uh, she lives uh, in a village on the banks of the Rio Negro. She's 22 years old. And, um, you know, her her uh, community just got um, internet in 2018. And, you know, she... So what has happened, background, is because of the pandemic, people weren't able to visit there. Okay, people couldn't go traveling to this area. And when people used to travel to this area, they would, um, the indigenous people would sell goods and, you know, things to them and they would have money for their village. But since that has not been happening, they are not having as high of a cash flow because no, nobody's visiting. Um, so she, this young lady, um, has been using the power of TikTok to grow awareness. And not just for um, the village itself, but for their way of life. So it's interesting, you know, She there's one of the biggest ones that she has is her eating um, some um, larva. And, you know, they say she says it tastes like coconut. And she eats it with... Um, it's a little cassava flour she eats it with, but she, you know, so that's one that blew up and, you know, everybody started asking her questions and she was answering these questions. Um, but that's not the only thing she does. She is showing their way of life, tools that's used to make the cassava. Um, of course, dancing to, to pop songs because as the article says, it is TikTok after all. Uh, but there's also aspects of other ways of life you know the the instruments that they play the you know the the flutes and the types of instruments that they play um so you get a real look into their life and a lot of this comes at a time where the uh president of brazil bolsonaro he has been um known to to say terrible things about indigenous people and there's you know, terrible things that they say about them. They're they're lazy and they don't speak the language. Uh, this young lady speaks fluent Portuguese and um, 
they're obviously not lazy people. Um, you know, he has said things like Indians don't speak our language, don't have money, don't have culture. Well, she is proving that to be absolutely false. So not only is this like her reaching the world, but there are other people in Brazil as well who get to see more of the indigenous people that they don't see when they live in the bit larger cities. So it's becoming a way to really look at this life that these um, smaller indigenous tribes have, see their way of life, see how they uh, you know, function every day and see the kind of things they do. And the article goes on to like really go into more and more things of, of what she's, she's brought to TikTok. And I would just say to you, if you're on TikTok, take a look at it. If you're not, Go to the Washington Post and look for this this uh, article because you'll get a chance to see some of the videos. And again, it's um, it's called Taking Indigenous Culture uh, Viral. And it's by Terrence McCoy. And it is worth the read, worth looking at the images. And if you're on TikTok, it's worth the follow. And um, unfortunately, like I was saying, that it's not paying the bills yet and um you know her father is the chief of the of the tribe uh, i i'm not certain if that's the word that they use um but he's the chief of them so you know he's hoping that uh they'll be able to find ways to to be able to have make money so that they can continue to even have things like the internet so check it out go on there check it out follow her on tiktok and hopefully things will continue to progress you'll you'll get a peek at their life uh their life their lives and bring more awareness all right it's wonderful all right so it's time now for the thought for the day or step whatever and it's for the weekend the day however you want to use it and it is about what comes after research and when you do your own research and when you're doing your own things like talking to people or you know having conversation when you present to people. And it's about feedback. So when you present information to people, you know, sometimes you think that there is a critique or someone's attacking you. Think of it as feedback. All right. And what does it mean to have feedback? How important is it to have feedback? And what can you do with feedback? Feedback can help you really look at the things you say, the things you do, and can help you grow and change. So really take some time to think about that. And I'm not saying that it has to be if you, you're doing a research paper, because maybe you don't do research papers. I don't know. Maybe you do. What do I know? But that doesn't eliminate the need for feedback maybe you just need feedback at your work hopefully you get positive feedback at your work but if you get negative feedback how can you learn from that to end up getting positive feedback i know it's easier said than done but you'll get it i know you will and my quote today is going to come from anant agarwal and I hope I am not mispronouncing that name. He's a professor at MIT. He is also the founder and CEO of edX, which is an online learning destination founded by Harvard and MIT. Okay. And his quote goes like this. There is a huge value 
in learning with instant feedback. Simple. I'll read it again. There is a huge value in learning with instant feedback. Don't be afraid of it. Learn from it. Okay? Don't take everything so personally. Easier said than done, I know. But just try to learn and grow. You got this. I know you do. Thank you very much for making it through this episode of The Daily Optimist. I appreciate each and every one of you. As always, please rate, subscribe, and share. Uh, rate so that other people can find it. Subscribe so you never miss it. And share with anybody who needs a little positivity and optimism in their day. All right, everyone, enjoy your weekend. Until next time, please be well.